If you have a copy of God's Word, please turn to John chapter 8, the Gospel of John, and we'll be in chapter 8 this morning. We're in a regular series through John's Gospel, and we come this morning to verses 12 through 36 of John chapter 8. Please follow along as I read, beginning in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin." Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And this is the verse I want to emphasize for us this morning. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let's pray together once more. Father, our minds are drawn to the words of your Son, the Lord Jesus, that he uttered these many years ago now, that if your people know the truth, truth will set them free. There are some here who are in bondage to sin, 
or in slavery to Satan. This morning, as your truth goes forward, set captives free. Emancipate your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's one of the most important statements in the Gospel of John, maybe one of the most often quoted statements. Uh, You'll often hear that statement in various cultural settings. Know the truth, the truth will set you free. Uh, You'll hear that even in songs. You'll hear politicians say those words. Uh, You'll hear parents repeat those words to their kids when they want them to tell the truth. Tell the truth, the truth after all will uh, set you free. Of course, these words on the lips of Jesus have a very specific meaning. I think these words, verse 32, are the key to understanding this whole passage in John 8. Jesus at many points in the Gospel of John is fixated on this issue of truth. Uh, Another very famous statement of the Lord Jesus is in John 14, verse 6, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The idea there is that he himself is truth. And all other truth is only known and understood and comprehended in relationship to Him as the great truth. He is the way, the truth, the life. Later on in John 18, Jesus is taken into custody and He's brought before Pontius Pilate. And it's there that Jesus says these words, verse 37, for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world. It's going to be a big statement. Why did Jesus come into the world? What purpose is He here to serve? He says, for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now, Jesus was never interested in truth in the abstract. Jesus taught that the truth actually has power to do something in people's lives. The truth has power to set people free and to change them forever. Jesus wants His disciples to know the truth and then for the truth to have real transformative power in their lives. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, that's what He wants for you. He wants you to know the truth and having known the truth, having seen the truth, to be changed. And in His usage in John 8, to be set free. Now, there are many things that Christian people ought to be known for. Christian people ought to be known for their love. They ought to be known for their good deeds. They ought to be known for their humility. And they should be known as people of the truth. We as Christians want to know what the truth is. And we want to see things as they are. We insist on living in light of reality. Whatever is true, we should want to know. And having known and seen the truth for what it is, we want to be transformed by the truth to live in light of the truth. It's true that if we don't have the truth, we really have nothing. It's not just that we don't know what is right and what is true. We actually don't know how to live if we don't have the truth. We'll see in this passage before us, to be without the truth is actually to be in bondage, to be enslaved. But Jesus insists that we don't have to live that way. Jesus says that if we have Him, the way, the truth, 
and the life. We will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. And so in these verses in John 8 that we'll be looking at today, we want to know what is the truth that Jesus is talking about, and how should the truth impact our lives. So to open up these verses, John 8, 12 through 36, I have three main headings I want us to consider with respect to the truth. First of all, we'll look at the Christ the truth reveals. Secondly, the urgency the truth demands. And and thirdly, and most importantly, the freedom the truth produces. The Christ the truth reveals, the urgency the truth demands, the freedom the truth produces. Look with me first at the Christ the truth reveals. There's a big truth claim that Jesus is asserting in this chapter. It has to do with his identity, with who he is. Here's just a sampling of some of the things Jesus says in the verses that we read a moment ago. He said in verse 12, I am the light of the world. Last time we talked about how light has this dual quality of truth and righteousness. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the great truth, and I expose what is true. In verse 16, he says, the Father has sent me. Verse 19, he says, if you knew me, you would know my Father also. Verse 23, he says, I am from above. I am not of this world. Verse 28, he says, I speak just as the Father taught me. Now, who talks like this? That's the reaction these crowds are going to have. Who can say these sorts of things? Who has the audacity just to, just in a nonchalant way, state them as though they're true? In fact, they ask him this very question, verse 25. They said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. It'd be interesting to know Jesus' tone there. Was it a tone of frustration? Like, guys, we've been over this. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning. Was it a a tone of appeal, invitation, just what I've been telling you from the beginning? Well, we don't exactly know. When Jesus says that he is just who he's been telling them he is from the beginning, that's probably a reference to the beginning of his ministry among them. So what are the things that Jesus has been telling them from the beginning? He has these Pharisees in front of him. Some of them have probably been in the crowds that we've seen previously in the book. They've probably seen Jesus before. If they haven't seen him already, they've certainly read the headlines. There's probably no one in Israel who's unaware of who Jesus is and who he's claiming to be. We've gone through seven, now into eight chapters now through John's gospel. What are the big things Jesus has been saying about himself? There's a lot of statements he's made about himself, but I think there are three in particular that sort of summarize the material we've seen thus far. So first of all, Jesus has said that he is the Son of God. He's the Son of God. And as the Son of God, that means he is God. The opening verses of John 1, in the beginning was the Word, that's Christ. The Word was with God and the Word was God. In John chapter 5, after Jesus heals a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years, he heals him on the Sabbath, and Jesus says, after healing that man and receiving criticism from the religious leaders of his day for doing this on the Sabbath, he says, my father is working now and I am working. And they respond seeking to kill him because he, being a man, has made himself equal with God, even calling God his father. They were actually completely right in that conclusion. Jesus was stating that he is equal with God. He's God's own son. 
I see what my Father is doing. I hear what my Father has said in the throne room of heaven. And I say only those things that I have heard from my Father. I come to do my Father's will. And if my Father works, I have the divine prerogative and power to work as well. He's the Son of God. That's the first sort of big truth claim Jesus makes about himself. The second is that he is the Christ. He's the Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the Messiah. He's that longed-for figure anticipated in the Old Testament that uh, Moses and the law and the prophets all pointed to. You might remember what Andrew said to his brother Simon in the latter verses of John 1. He says, we have found the Messiah. We found the one of whom Moses wrote in the law. Later on, he's referred to as the King of Israel, the seed of David, the coming son of David who's going to rule on his father's throne forever. Jesus says, I am everything that the Old Testament was pointing to. I'm the Christ. I'm the Messiah. I'm the longed-for, anticipated, chosen one who will come and fulfill all the things the prophet said would happen when the Messiah would come. The third thing, and this summarizes a whole cluster of things Jesus has said about himself. The third big truth claim Jesus has made about himself. He's the Son of God. He's the Christ. Now, that's all interesting in its own way. I'm not really sure what the implications of all that would be. Jesus tells us, thirdly, he is the Savior of the world. He's the Son of God. He's God himself. He's the coming Christ, but he comes not in judgment. He comes as the Savior of the world. We see this very early, John 1, verse 29. What does John the Baptist say about Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's come. He's here. And He will be an offering for the sins of not just the Jews, but of the whole world. John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. John 4.42, after Jesus has interacted with the woman at the well, that woman uh, returns to Sychar, the Samaritan town, and she tells the townsfolk there what has happened, and they come out and they see Jesus, and what do they say about him? It's no longer based on just your testimony, but we have seen that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world, not of the Jews only, not even of the Samaritans only, but of the whole world. John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever follows me will never thirst. John 7, verses 37 through 38, at the Feast of Booths, Jesus stands up on the grave and last day of the feast, and what does he say? If anyone comes to me, he will never thirst. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Anyone who would come, he's the Savior of the world. Then we saw two weeks ago in verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not remain in darkness. The idea is that Jesus has dawned on the world like the sun, and the nations are now streaming toward that light so that they may no longer remain in darkness. We have people in this church uh, who were born in Taiwan, in Singapore, in Hong Kong, in Mexico, in Ecuador, in South Korea, in the United States. We are the vindication of these statements from Jesus. He is indeed the light of the world. And the nations have seen that light, and they have come, and they have believed in God's own Son, the Christ, and have embraced Him by faith. 
So what is the truth about Jesus? He is the Son of God. He is the Christ. He is the Savior of the world. This is the Christ. The truth reveals God's own Son, the longed-for Messiah, and the Savior of the world. So now secondly, consider with me the urgency the truth demands. We've seen the Christ the truth reveals. Now secondly, the urgency the truth demands. Please look with me again at verses 21 through 24 of John 8. So he said to them again, I am going away. You will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, and, and by that he means you are from the earth. Okay? You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. The urgency, the truth demands, unless you believe the truth that I am he, that I am the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, you will die in your sins. Someone says, well, what's so terrible about that? To live a life in sin, to die in those sins, What's so terrible about that? Well, everything. It's the most terrible thing that could happen to a person, to die in your sins. The fundamental human problem is one of sin. Now, what is sin? Sin is any violation of God's law or failure to live up to His righteous standards. Sin is any violation of God's law, His revealed Word, and any failure to live up to His righteous standards. And all of us are covered head to foot with sin. We sin every day, each one of us. We violate God's law every day through sins of commission and sins of omission. We are covered head to foot with sin. Now, why is that such a significant problem? For these Jews that are before Jesus, when He says, you're going to die in your sins, what's so terrible about dying in your sins? Is it that, well... You see, you won't get to live your best life now if you live in sin. Uh, you, you really will not get to experience all the human flourishing that was intended for the human race. It's so much worse than that. Because sin introduces a gap between us and between God, we cannot live in right relationship with God if we are living in sin. What's more than that, God, as an expression of His perfect justice, is full of wrath against sin. All sin must be punished. All wrath must be propitiated. All wrongdoing must be expiated. Remember this, this is taught in Scripture that sin will be dealt with in one of two places according to the Bible. It will either be dealt with at the cross of Jesus Christ or it will be dealt with in hell forever. Sin is always punished in one of two places. Wrath will be propitiated in one of two places. Wrongdoing will be expiated in one of two places, either at the cross of Calvary or in eternal torment forever. Well, that is very simply a situation of predicament demanding the most serious sense of urgency. Can you, be, can you imagine being told by your doctor that you have stage four cancer. 
And unless we operate immediately, you are going to die. Can you imagine receiving that news and, and being sort of nonchalant and indifferent and remote about that kind of news? Not now, Doc. I go home, think about this. Maybe I'll get a second opinion. Um, I really can't deal with this right now. I have a lot of other tasks I have to really get to. I just don't really have time to, to deal with this right now. Can you imagine being indifferent about that kind of news? Well, the news that Jesus is giving these Jews is so much more worse than that. Is that. If you don't believe in me, you will die in your sins. And you will perish and you will suffer eternal torment forever. That is a situation demanding the most serious sense of urgency. Jesus is impossibly serious. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. See, you're not allowed to be uh, neutral on Jesus. You can't be indifferent. You can't be lukewarm about Jesus. The consequences are too great. Either you acknowledge him as truly the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, or you die in your sins, and there is nothing worse than that. Do you see yourself this morning in an urgent situation? Do you see yourself as being in critical condition? The whole world is perishing and you are perishing without Christ and you will die in your sins if you don't have Christ, the light of the world. It's a desperate situation and it demands urgency. I'm not here to give seven rules for how to live your best life now. I'm not going to give you suggestions for how you might choose to live if you felt so inclined. The matters of the Bible and the matters of the Christian gospel demand our earnest attention. They demand a sense of urgency. We gather here in this place, this very comfortable room, all cleaned up in our Sunday best, to hear the Word of God preached, to have the attention of our hearts arrested, and to have the attention of our hearts drawn to the most important eternal issues. Did you come here thinking that you would be pondering and thinking through and reflecting upon matters of eternal import? There's no game that we play when we come to God's Word. For Jesus, this is of the utmost seriousness. Church is not about how we can live our best life now. It's about how we can be made right with a holy God. It's about how our sin problem that alienates us from the living God can be addressed through Jesus Christ. And so I urge you, hear from Jesus, unless you embrace Him, unless you believe in Him, unless you turn from your sin and cling to Christ, His word is you will die in your sins. And that is a situation demanding the greatest urgency. Have you ever known someone who died in their sins? Watch someone die in their sins. I have relatives. I've seen them die in their sins. It's a sad thing. What makes it perhaps most sad is that they don't have to. There exists no reason why anyone here should die in their sins. If you could hear my voice, understand my words, the words of Scripture, you don't have to die in your sins. It would be one thing if we were pre-programmed and there was no hope for us and it was all this fatalistic, we're all just going to die, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, there's no hope for the human race. But there is hope. Light has dawned in Jesus Christ and no one here needs to die in their sins. 
You can have Jesus Christ today. This is his word. If you believe on me, you will not die in your sins. Now, the third point. We've seen the Christ, the truth reveals, the urgency, the truth demands. Now, thirdly, the freedom the truth produces. The freedom the truth produces. Please look with me at verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. And I'll just stop there and say, we learn later, this is not true saving faith. These people didn't really embrace Jesus. This is the sort of spurious faith we've seen in other places in John's gospel. Many believed in him, but but Jesus is going to check them now and say what he says in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples. There are people who could make a pretense of believing Jesus, a pretense of being his disciples, but he says to them, okay, if you think you believe in me, if you are truly my disciples, you will abide in my word. Verse 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now I assume everyone here wants to be free. Everyone wants to be free. Who who wants bondage? Who wants slavery? We all want to be free, not just in the sense that we don't have like slave masters above us. We want to be free like on the deepest level in our hearts possible. So listen to Jesus now. He's going to tell us. A few questions I want to ask of these verses. Who is freed? Who does the freeing? And what does this freedom look like? Pretty simple questions. First of all, who is freed? Very simply, sinful people in bondage to sin and Satan. The same people who would die in their sins apart from Christ. Now, these people don't think they're in bondage. They say, verse 33, we're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Like he thinks, again, they think that he's operating purely on a material level. We're not in bondage to anybody. What are you talking about? Jesus is speaking about a a deeper bondage, a more profound freedom. He's saying the bondage is deeper than you know. I'm not coming to free people who are in bondage to worldly overlords. I'm freeing people in bondage to sin and the devil. Those are the people Jesus came to free. Those are the people Jesus came to emancipate. When you read that Jesus came to set the captives free, it doesn't mean he's going to free every slave that ever existed in the known universe. He's going to free those who are enslaved to sin and Satan and wrath. That's who he's come to free. Now, who does the freeing? It's not us. Starts out looking like us. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Like, like I have to do something. If I just get myself together, abide in Jesus' words, I'll be free. Okay, I don't think that's how we'd understand the passage. And I think that because verse 36, I think, clarifies things. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The Son is the one who sets us free. So how should we understand the statement in verse 32, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples? I understand that statement basically to mean, if you abide in my word, if if you believe in me, 
If you embrace the truth that I have been saying about myself, if you rest and abide and remain in my promise through the gospel, you will truly be my disciples. If you have active, living, vital faith in my words, you will be free. Believe what I am saying to you, and I will fulfill my promise. All the freeing is done by Jesus. He's the one who emancipates sinners from slavery and from bondage. Now, the third question. And this is the most important one. What does this freedom entail? Jesus is talking about freedom on the deepest level. Well, what is this freedom? What is he talking about? It's freedom from two things. Okay? Freedom from two things. First of all, from the condemnation of sin. And secondly, from the power of sin. Freedom from the condemnation of sin, freedom from the power of sin. First of all, freedom from the condemnation of sin. If you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and if you embrace Him as a Savior for you, you will not die in your sins. You will be freed from the condemnation of sin. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8. He says in verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. And Paul will go on to conclude later in that chapter, verse 33, who then will bring a charge against God's elect? Who's going to bring a charge against God's people? They have been freed from the condemnation of sin. They are no longer under the wrath of God. They are no longer under the condemning power of sin and Satan. They have been made free. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So brothers and sisters, for us, there's no condemnation to dread. We no longer stand under the just requirement of God's law. It has been satisfied in Jesus Christ. And so we stand now as free, emancipated sinners who have no need to fear the condemnation of sin and of Satan. But secondly, and this may be more to the point of what Jesus is talking about, those who are truly Jesus' disciples are freed from the power of sin. That's a different thing. Clearly, we're freed from the condemnation of sin. We won't die in our sins. We won't suffer eternal punishment in hell. We've been freed from the condemnation of sin. But the Bible teaches that Christians are also freed from the reigning power of sin. We are freed from sin's ongoing dominion in our lives. This is where Jesus goes with this. The truth will set you free. Jesus answered them, verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin or makes a practice of sin, lives in sin, is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Christ's disciples are emancipated from the ongoing dominion and power of sin in their lives. 
They are to live in righteousness. They are empowered by Christ himself to resist sin, to fight sin, to mortify sin, to no longer walk and live in sin. They are enabled by Christ who is the light of the world to come out of darkness where evil deeds reign and to come into the light of Christ where truth and righteousness prevail. As Jesus said in verse 12, whoever follows him will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. That is freedom. I am no longer enslaved to the dictates of my flesh. I am no longer in bondage to my lusts. I no longer live under the tyranny of my self-love and my pride. I am free to follow Jesus and to walk in the light and to pursue the path of righteousness. That's freedom. And that freedom, brother or sister, is yours in Jesus Christ. It's not just that one day we will be made new with him in paradise. Right now we have the present experience of this. Sin no longer reigns in us. Sin is no longer our master. Sin no longer owns us like slaves to do its bidding. We are free in Christ to walk in righteousness, to walk in truth, to live in holiness. You have a new master in Jesus Christ. And you can, by the grace and power of his spirit, live for him. To walk in righteousness. You are no longer a slave to your pride. You're no longer a slave to your self-love. You're no longer a slave to your lust. You have a new master who bought you with a price. You don't have to do what that old master tells you anymore. You don't have to follow him around. When he seeks to ensnare you and to draw you back into that old bondage to sin, you tell him, I have been made free. I have been emancipated by God's own son. I no longer live over the dominion and power of sin. I am free to walk in the light. I'm free to walk in righteousness. I have a principle, a power implanted in me by God's spirit. And I can now do what is pleasing to Christ. Of course, it wasn't that way before, right? You had no choice but to sin. Had no choice. You had a a master. You were in bondage to slavery and to sin and to Satan. But we've now been made free. And if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Before we close, three simple words of application I'd like to share with us this morning. Two to those who are Christians and one to those who are not Two words of application, two lessons for those who are Christians. First of all, discipleship with Jesus. Discipleship with Jesus. It's following Jesus. Discipleship with Jesus is abiding in Jesus' word. Discipleship with Jesus is abiding in Jesus' word. If you want to know Jesus and you want to experience this sort of freedom he's been talking about, be much in his word. You won't know Jesus apart from the Bible. We don't get to know and experience Jesus out there. We get to know and experience Jesus in here. We have his word. And your knowledge of Jesus, your experience of Jesus, your relationship with Jesus will not outstrip your knowledge of the Bible. This is where we meet Jesus. This is where we have Jesus, and we can only experience him out there insofar as we experience him here. 
in the Word of God, on the pages of Scripture. There the Lord Jesus is revealed to us. So I say to you, my friend, don't make a pretense of wanting to know Jesus better if you do not treasure God's Word. If you don't treasure the words of Christ, what is it that Peter said when he was asked if he wanted to go away like all the others who had left Jesus? He says, well, where are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Well, we have those same words. We have the Bible. We have the Gospel of John. If you want to relate to Jesus, experience Jesus, abide in His Word, Listen, it it is possible, I think, for every Christian here, I really do think this is possible, to commit that every day for the rest of your life, you are going to read God's Word. That's possible for every single one of you. If you're 65 years old, maybe you have 20 more years, you can read the Bible, what would it be, 7,300 times before you expire. If you're 45 years old, you've got another 40 years, you can read the Bible 14,600 more times. I mean, you certainly are faithful to eat every day, aren't you? I would expect, unless you fast, that you're going to eat something every day for the rest of your life. It is within your ability, if you are passionate and zealous about nurturing a vital relationship with the Son of God, to go to His Word every day. And there on the pages of Scripture to find Him and to commune with Him and to fellowship with Him. This is what Jesus says. This is the test. If you abide in my word, live in my word, remain in my word, you are truly my disciples. I say especially to those of you who are young Christians, just commit yourself to this now. You will not get very far in your Christian life if you do not resolve that you will nurture a vital active relationship with Jesus through going to His Word daily. That is where we find Jesus. If you abide in my Word, you are truly my disciples. Second lesson for Christians. Discipleship with Jesus is abiding in Jesus' Word. Secondly, remember, like this afternoon, remember. Tomorrow morning, remember. Remember In your dying day, sin is the enemy of your freedom. Sin is the enemy of your freedom. Sin only and always produces slavery. Righteousness produces freedom. The truth about Jesus produces freedom. Every time you are presented, and we are all presented with times like this throughout the week, every time you are presented with temptation and with sin, you must say to yourself, this is the enemy of my freedom. Just got off the phone with that man, that woman, and you were so bothered by something they said, and you're tempted now to have bitter thoughts toward that person. Say to yourself, Bitter thoughts are the enemy of my freedom. Loving and charitable and wholesome and peaceful and life-giving, God-honoring thoughts, that is freedom. And that's what Jesus has called me to. That's what Jesus has emancipated me for. To walk in truth, to walk in righteousness. 
To be a gossip is slavery. To be a a prideful, self-obsessed person is slavery. To live your days in the lusts of your flesh is bondage. But Jesus says, I've come to make you free. You don't need to listen to that old master anymore. You can walk in righteousness through the power that I supply. If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So brothers and sisters, take your thoughts captive. Take your actions captive. Take yourself in hand and say, I have been freed by the Son of God. I don't have to do this. I don't have to live this way. I don't have to answer to that old master. Sin is the enemy of my freedom. Sin is the source of bondage and slavery. Sin is the opponent of my joy. And if I'm to live in the freedom that God has purchased for me through His Son, I must abide in Christ's words and turn away from sin. All those who practice sin, live in sin, are slaves to sin. But we've been set free. So take yourself in hand, preach to yourself these words, sin is the enemy of my freedom. I've been set free in Christ to do His bidding, to do what is well-pleasing to Him. Now a third lesson. This is really for all of us, but especially for those who are not Christians, and I'll just close with this. Jesus can set you free. Jesus can set you free. He could set you free from whatever you feel you are in bondage to. Say, preacher, you don't know my life. You don't know what has a hold of me. You don't know what addictions are present. You don't know what... what Lusts are in my mind and in my heart. You don't know the relationships I'm in. You don't know me. You're right, I don't. But I know the truth of God's Word. I know that those who know the truth will be set free. I know those who have Jesus will have the light of life and will no longer remain in darkness. That's His promise. Whatever you are enslaved to, you can be freed from this morning through Jesus Christ. He can set you free. It's why He came to set captives free, to free people from the bondage of sin and death and Satan. And He can do that for you. And my friend, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What freedom that will be. I so appreciated the observation our brother Robert Fisher made last week in his sermon. He will save you to the uttermost. Uttermost in terms of time, uttermost in terms of degree. You will be free indeed, freed forever, perfectly in paradise with God, and you will be freed to the greatest degree from sin's captivity and Satan's bondage. This day, if you embrace Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you can be freed from your sin and you can walk in life. You can have the light of life. Let's pray together.